but you can talk to any of the youth in a small group and you ask them about how their week went and they're just stressed. With some of the filters that are coming on, like you can't even tell there's a filter until you remove it and then you see the truth that's below. And not that the truth that's below is bad, it's beautiful, but they think they need it just to get that little edge, but they don't want it so much that it doesn't look like them anymore. Again, this new evidence that's come out that they're, 270, they're worth $270. It's like they, they realize that um, yeah, they're, they're just being used. And so there does seem to be some pushback and some you know, savvy that, they, that they're um, growing up with, which is encouraging. Hello and welcome to What Would Jesus Tech? My name is Andrew Noble. My co-host Joel Jacob is with me, as well as two guests as we try to dive into youth ministry, what it is like to be a teenager living amidst our digital age. And we want to help teenagers. We want to help people who are parents, who are youth pastors, who are pastors trying to figure out what's going on with teens today. Um, there's a lot to get into. And before we do, I just need us to get to know our guests today. Um, so joining us is John Parrott. Uh, he's served in student ministry for over 20 years. He's written multiple books, including Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. It's a good book. I just finished it last night, um, and it has lots of great tips. Very, very, very practical. The most practical tech book I think I've ever written. I'm like, here's what to do. You should do this. Here's how to think about this aspect. We'll get into it on this, this pod. Um, so thank you, John, for joining us today. Absolutely. Yeah. Honored to to be on this uh, with you guys. I'm looking forward to the conversation and yeah, thanks for the encouragement about uh, practical advice. Uh, I'm not very tech savvy and so very practical is what I need. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm glad that came through in the book. So uh, thanks for that. Yeah. We need all kinds of books. Um, you know, one of my favorite books on tech is Samuel James's Digital Liturgies, and it's not that practical. Like it's, it's how tech is shaping you. And then there's other books that are more practical. We also have Erica Bechtel joining us. She is an Instagram influencer. Um, she was trying to downplay this uh, prior to the call. And I'm like, no, you get free products from companies to promote. Um, and so you are an Instagram influencer. You can follow her on Instagram, do-it-yourself mom. Um, and so she is a mom. She's a, she's a homeschooling mom now. Um, just in the last year. And she also helps the youth ministry at Gory Bible Fellowship. Thanks for joining us, Erica. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So in terms of just to help get to know you, everybody in the room, how old are your kids? So I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. John, where are you at? So 16-year-old, about to be 14-year-old, 11-year-old, um, 9-year-old, and then 7-year-old. Okay, five kids. Joel, boy, girl, boy, girl. I got a four-year-old and two-year-old. Okay, and Erica. And I have a ten-year-old, a eight-year-old, and a five-year-old. So two girls and a boy at the end. And Erica, you're homeschooling now. You were at a public school prior. Is that correct? Correct. So we went to. Um, I grew up homeschooled straight through high school and then went off to college afterwards. Um, and I basically said, like, I will never homeschool my own kids. I don't have patience for that. <laughs> um, and I think God likes to laugh at our I'll nevers. Um, and so then COVID hit and some decisions were made and we just felt like the school wasn't the right spot for the kids to be anymore. Um, and so I was just like, okay, 
we'll homeschool. We'll give it a shot. We'll just take it year by year. And that's still going to be our plan going forward. But um, it's gone really well. Uh, it has been a blessing of a time being able to connect regularly with my kids whilst also um, educating them, but then realizing like the whole day doesn't have to be school. Like we can focus on things outside of that and I get to have them home for those times. Um, and so that's been really good. It's had challenges, um, but it's been really good. I'm very grateful for the mm -hmm. opportunity to do it. <laughs> and John, your kids? So yeah, well, we homeschooled for uh, the majority of, of their lives, but our oldest four go to a hybrid model, which is part homeschool and then uh, part kind of classical university model. And our fifth is is currently homeschooling. But we've kind of gradually, as you said, Erica, just kind of year by year assessing it. And um, we've started putting all of ours in school um, around fourth grade or so. And then help me understand the context of your youth ministries. So both of you, well, John, you're not as directly involved anymore. Um, Erica, when a student were to go to a weekly youth event, what is part of that event? Like just really quickly, the agenda. Yeah. So on our Friday nights, we run from seven till 10. So seven o'clock to about seven ten is drop in. Um, people say, Hey, visit whatever seven ten to seven twenty is personal devotion time that we try to have a little sheet of paper to kind of guide you along that. Um, so opening with prayer, talking with God, seeing how your week went. Um, and then there's usually a passage that we like to read, um, from 10 or seven twenty to eight o'clock, then it's small group time. So we are youth group of about 70 kids regularly. So we try to break that down into about groups of 10 or smaller if we can. Um, and then after small group time, where we're usually we have some questions that have to do with the message later on in the evening. Um, so we'll kind of get our gears turning towards that. Um, and then just check in on how their weeks went. Um, then from eight until nine, we have structured game time um, that our youth put on and they've run the show, which is fantastic. Then from nine to 10, we have music and a message. And then after 10 o'clock is usually hangout time. There's gaga ball that kids like to go pretty hardcore at, um, and then snacks and hangout time. So. Cool. I remember like I came way back when before, like to your youth group um but this was like 10 years ago and i was like wow there's so much teaching there's so much bible like i grew up in a baptist <laughs> church that it was like friday night was games and maybe like a five minute devotional like it was it was a different context than what you're uh, john i'm curious from your perspective is what erica described normal <laughs> what do you see in terms of a weekly youth event yeah. So, so prior to my work with uh, Reformed Youth Ministries, I was at a local church for 13 years. And kind of our biggest programs, uh, Wednesday night would be um, our kind of large group gathering from 530 to 730. Um, everyone would get there and just kind of fellowship, hang out at the beginning. Uh, we had a gym and so it was just kind of open gym. And then we'd move into our large group time to where we'd have announcements and then we'd get into to singing, typically have a call to worship. And then we'd break into small groups and we'd have small group teaching. And the, the teaching time was you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and hmm. 
then we kind of have some hangout on the the end of it. So kind of hanging out, beginning and ending. But the majority of the time, those Wednesday nights was was focused on teaching. I mean, we, we definitely place an emphasis on the preaching and teaching of God's word, and uh, we know it's living and active. And um, you know, we, we don't want to water down theology for students. Um, what we've said before, if if teenagers can get calculus, they can get theology, and so we we, we want to, to place an emphasis on on uh, the teaching of God's word. Um, Sunday we'd have Sunday school, and again it was about a a forty five minute teaching time, but you know interactive and trying to get the students engaged. And then throughout the week we had prayer breakfast, we had other one on one discipleship opportunities and things like that, kind of spread throughout the week. Um, but that was kind of just a, a brief snapshot of, of what our weeks could look like. No, that's helpful. And it's helpful to think about it holistically, not just the single event, um, which leads me to my next question about you writing a book. Like you wrote a book to teenagers <clears throat> to help them with anxiety. Um, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, what motivated you to give them a resource in the form of a, it's like a devotional, like four weeks to go through. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it, it is a devotional. Um, I think just so much. So again, you said, you know, I've been in some form of student ministry for, for over 20 years. And so serving in a local church, and then now I'm on staff with, with RYM and um, RYM, part of what we do, we have six summer conferences for students. And so in a, a summer, we have close to 5,000 students that, that come to our, our conferences. And then on top of that, I have two teenagers living in, in my house. And so just in my interactions with teenagers, um, you, you could just see the, 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 the pressure, the anxiety, everything that they're dealing with um, that's related to social media and, and smartphones. And I know uh, most of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware of just Jean Twenge and her research that came out uh, talking about increased levels of anxiety and depression. And so just, just realizing that you know, screens aren't going away, uh, that the vast majority of students have access to screens, that parents are just handing these devices to their their children. And so you know, there's not a whole lot out there that's aimed at teens that can, can help them know how to interact with these in, in a biblical way. And so that was some of my desire, just seeing students struggle with this, uh, seeing the need for some guidance. And so trying to have a resource that uh, that parents could put in the hands of, of their children that, that might give them just some biblical framework to kind of think about um, these devices and, and social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Um, I was <clears throat> just blown away. I haven't read through the whole 200 plus pages yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of the what basically right before American Thanksgiving came out from Meta, kind of there's this massive lawsuit. 42 states have sued Facebook or Meta because of what Instagram is doing to teens and their lack of transparency about how negatively they're affecting. Some of the data says that one-third of teenage girls say Instagram makes their body image worse, and that 17% said it worsened eating issues. Um, their own polling data found that 8.4% of 13 to 15-year-olds were shown self-harm-related content within the past week. 
and that 13.5% of teen girls on Instagram said it has worsened thoughts of self-harm and suicide. Um, and not only this, they're actually finding that there are not just teenagers on their app, but that one in five preteens are on the app. 10 to 12-year-olds, 20% are on Instagram or have used Instagram and and even you know, kids younger than that age are getting access to this app. Um, it's it's kind of shocking when you hear the numbers and you think about how bad these things are. Um, Erica, for you, <clears throat> you're seeing use of technology. What challenges are you seeing as someone who cares about not only your own kids, but the teenagers that you um, help in in your ministry? I feel like our youth group has done fairly decent about making sure that uh, we try to keep phones at a minimum within the space that we're in. Um, But you can talk to any of the youth in a small group and you ask them about how their week went and they're just stressed. Like they're overloaded, they're overwhelmed. They've got school, they've got work. And then on top of that, they've got this social media life that they're trying to keep up with because um, there's a certain amount of youth that think they're going to be big time influencers. And so they're like, well, if that's going to start, like I should probably start now. And so how do I keep up with that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I feel, and like, I feel like as a youth, so I got my phone, I didn't get a phone until I was 18, but before then I had um, Facebook. And so then I feel like the pictures that we were posting and things like that, like they were edited so poorly because you went on PicDart and you were all of like the neon colors and it was very fake and very heavily edited and very, very obvious. Whereas now with some of the filters that are coming on, like you can't even tell there's a filter until you remove it. And then you see the truth that's below and not that the truth that's below is bad. It's beautiful, but they think they need it just to get that little edge, but they don't want it so much that it doesn't look like them anymore. And so then I can totally see where there's body images coming into issue um, that it's it's so subtle. The lies are so subtle that it's easy to believe. Um, and so then that just starts like this downward spiral of comparison that, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like there's no real escape. Like, again, we can reflect on our own childhoods. When I was a teenager, I was stressed about different things. But then I was either on MSN Messenger or I wasn't. When I was not on MSN Messenger, there was nothing there, no comparison opportunity. Like I was I was stuck in my house. It was like I looked out the window to see if my next door neighbor, Scott Hurst, was playing basketball. And then maybe I could get some attention because, oh, there because my brothers were watching Star Trek or some show I didn't want to watch. Like, but I was stressed about girls i was stressed about fitting in i was i was stressed but but there was a break from it and now with access to an app there's no break from it um so what should teenagers do like john you you are the practical tips guy (laughs) (laughs) i've set you up for this um and obviously there's lots of practical tips in your book but what what would you think of that you know these teenagers should do yeah, no, I mean, that's, in many ways, it's, it's just a tough question because, like you said, um, they don't get a break. I mean, the, the, I think of the refuge of the home that you just described is not there anymore. That, you know, thinking back to, to my own childhood, when, when 
you know, the school bell rang, I knew, okay, I'm getting a break from my peers. I can go home. I can rest and relax. You know, maybe they would call me on the phone that's bolted to the wall. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't be able to get me, but I wasn't conditioned to, you know, have peer influence. And so I think, you know, some of that is as hard as it is, is for parents to try to establish some sort of refuge in the home. And some of that is just trying to limit the the devices as much as you can and in the most creative ways you can you can come up with. Maybe that is, you know, right when students come home from school, parents saying, hey, look, let, let's take a break. Let's put it on do not disturb. Put it in this room. Let's sit at the table. Let's get a snack. Let's talk about the day. I mean, it could be something like that. I've heard plenty of, uh, you know, think of Andy Crouch's book, TechWise Family, and just kind of bookending the days without tech where he says that he wakes up before his technology and he puts his technology to bed before he goes to bed. And so thinking of families kind of having those bookends of their day to where they're away from those devices are are helpful. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are some of the ones that come to mind because it does seem, you know, as people can kind of debate some of the the data, some of the, the research on anxiety and depression and the correlation, all that, it seems like the the strongest correlation is, you know, screen time goes up, anxiety and depression goes up. And so if a student's listening to this right now, just look at your screen time and try to pull back on that, maybe 30 minutes this next week, and just kind of gradually try to decrease that screen time uh, to just hopefully uh, release some of the pressure that's that's there. Um, But those are some those are just some knee-jerk thoughts that come to mind as you ask that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. It's just it's so challenging because if I think back to when I was a teenager, I wanted that human connection. Like, I yeah, it was fun to watch TV. Yeah, it was fun to play video games, but to do it with another human being was so much more impactful in my life like then you you get that sense of feeling good to other people with other people they're they're affirming you they're telling you they like you they're they're joking with you and that human connection is a good thing right and 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 i kind of want to affirm like of course you want other people to like you of course you want to you know send messages to other people those are good things um and and isn't technology great in the way that it makes that so much easier to to make those human connections um so it's it's so tough because when i like i talked to one mom who just said that her 15 year old boy is living limited to four and a half hours of snapchat a day and i was like four and a half hours seems like a lot and she's like yeah but that's not enough for him he's complaining even about that and i was like oh, you know, Snapchat has some filter stuff. It's video based. There's like dance crazes. It, it has the the streaks. It's funny talking to teens when they're like, oh, I can't take a weekend break from Snapchat because then I'll lose my streaks. And they were serious. They were like pushing back hard on me. And I'm like, you realize that that is literally a number in order, like that means nothing other than a value to Snapchat so that they make more money. Like that's all it is. It's, it's like if your friendship is like rises and falls based around a metric and an app, you don't have a good friendship, you know? Um, and I was just speaking straight to these, 
these 12 year old boys when I was talking with, with them. And it's, it's just like, I get that it's addicting though. I really do. I'm like, I want to affirm human connection. I want to affirm that in them that of course it's, it's good that they're connecting with others. I'd rather that than other things. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to nuance this. Like, is there, is there other ways that we can talk about the positives of technology and, and say, well, here are ways to use technology for good. Like Joel, I know you're kind of radical in that (laughs) you, you were telling me about, well, I want to get my kids using tech and coding and your kids are like five years old and you're like, yeah, I got to, got to teach them how to code early, you know, get them, get them to understand the technology better. Joel, what's, how, how are you processing this conversation? Cause I feel like you're the pro tech guy, um, in the room the most. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's pretty timely. I think I just saw over the weekend, this trend of conversation going around about iPad kids. Um, and so it's like, I think like TikTokers are posting about it. I'm, I don't actually go on TikTok, but I'm getting sent the link where it's like 13 year olds, which are the people who are like becoming teenagers now, um, were born in 2010. And that's when the iPad came out. And a lot of millennials were actually like millennial parents were giving their kids these iPads as like pacifiers. And they've developed this like coping methodology of like, oh, I just give them my, pa- my iPad. like. And they're like digitally native, but they haven't developed these other like coping skills. And that's leading to the anxiety. So like everything Mm -hmm. I'm hearing here is definitely, you know, true. And it it gives me pause on like, yeah, like unrestricted internet access. Like I work in a cybersecurity tech company. So it's like even having the apps to like monitor and filter content and data and stuff, it's like not things the average parent uh, parent really knows how to do and like those tools need to be more accessible so you can make it easier to you know have a framework to allow your kids to use internet and technology without kind of like falling into the snares along the way and that's what uh, at least these gen z's are saying they're like oh when i become a parent i'm not gonna like raise my kids to like throw an ipad in their face like because they see all the these toddlers or teenagers now who have that issue but to your point on like me wanting to lean into technology i think let's say i don't know if it's five percent but everyone let's say uses the internet but only maybe five percent of people are actually like building things on it and it's this interesting asymmetric ratio where it's like maybe similar to like cars it's like a lot of people drive cars but only how many people know how to build components of cars and fix cars right so that's what portion I'm trying to shift my kids into and be like, hey, you need to get into coding because Gen Alpha, so my kids like, yeah, the oldest is four years old and they're now part of the next generation, which is going to be Gen Alpha. And I think they'll probably call that Gen AI where their whole teenage years is going to be really around like the big swing of artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And to really know how to navigate that well, they should know how to like, command a computer and maybe it won't be as much coding as it will be prompting in the future so you know we'll see how that shakes up and that might make it more accessible but definitely i mean we probably underestimate teens in general i mean for me i was really tech savvy uh growing up and we probably think that teens aren't tech savvy they're more likely more tech savvy than us so it's almost like how do we 
enable them to be like pioneers leading the frontier of that and like leading it in a good direction. Um, so that's really what I've been thinking about more recently is like, okay, like I don't have teens in my home right now, but when my boys become teenagers, how do I make sure they know how to deal with it in a positive way? Hmm. Yeah, John. Yeah. Um, Joel, you said like five things I wanted to ask you questions about. That was, <laughs> was helpful. I am just curious. So I'm thinking about my younger kids. If I wanted, I mean, and parents listening out there who might want to start their younger kids to learn about kind of, like, how would you begin that with younger children? I mean, is there a website you would point people to? I mean, I'm sure I could, could Google, but is there any kind of beginner's guide that you would point parents of young children to? Not to put you on the spot. Curious. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, when I looked into it in the past, there are a lot of, for for young kids, it's like, there it's gaming coding apps. So you have a character and you have to learn how to, let's say, turn him right. So you learn there's a turn right coding function and you have a 3D view of his character and then you have like text and it's like, okay, now you have to turn him left. How do you do that? Well, it's actually, if you turn right three times in a row and you loop that, that's actually equivalent to turning left. And I think the fundamental thing that these apps for kids I think there's one called like Swift Playgrounds, and I'm sure we can add a bunch more into the the show notes. But what they want to do is teach this way of looking at the world in terms of like algorithms and uh, functions and, you know, somewhat of a mathematical way so that when they are older, it's more natural for them to look at a problem and be like, well, I can actually break this problem into these like sub problems and like empower mm -hmm. them to think that way. So, yeah, I think for parents looking to give those kids opportunities, I think there's like one extent where you're like, put your kid into coding camp because they're experts on like, what are the base principles to start with? And then there's like, well, I can also like get this like a suite of apps or a suite of tools that like they can do self-learning. Like for me, a lot of my interest in technology, my parents didn't teach me that. I didn't go to coding school. It was all self-taught. So I think we definitely shouldn't underestimate the ability for a kid given the right curriculum or coursework to like self-teach them how to do coding and AI. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Two thoughts. One is <clears throat> artificial intelligence is just math. Um, Arlie Coles, she, uh, she's an ML uh, machine learning researcher, uh, based in Montreal. And she also is Anglican. And so she has interesting perspectives on this, but she's like, we freak out about AI because we don't understand it. But at root, it's really like ChatGPT is just numbers. Like the words are representations, uh, of language, but language at a fundamental level is just math. And you just are using really just numbers and math. And so if you teach your kids math, you're teaching them coding in a way. You're teaching them logic. You're teaching that, you know, if you try to fill in the blank in an algebra equation, how what is X? Well, that's a, a logic breakdown. And that's the same kind of logic that goes into ChatGPT, figuring out the next word that they give you. It's like, well, solve for X. That's what ChatGPT is doing. They're solving for X based around a much more complicated equation, but it's not that different. And so that was a helpful framework for me to be like, oh, I need to teach my kids math. <laughs> um, but 
The other thought that that this kind of raises is is thinking about in youth ministry, we use tech all the time. We use PowerPoint, we use whatever. And so there is kind of like some of that going in. Like in terms of your tech use as a youth ministry worker, um, do you, are you like, well, let's just ban it, go back to like woodworking, which is more your expertise anyways. <laughs> um, like I was texting which is a type you last of technology. Night. I was like, could we yeah, just yeah, go yeah. back to like mailing each other paper letters? And like, if you want to call someone, you have to have the number. So you either have to be brave enough to talk to them in person and be like, can I have your number? Or maybe you're just not supposed to talk to them. <laughs> so I yeah. like, or, l- l- maybe I'll build on the question actually for Andrew is like, when I was in youth group, I would join the communications team and did like the PowerPoint slides for changing the worship lyrics and stuff like that. But it was like so small in what I could really do. And my thought is like, oh my gosh, in youth ministry, there's probably so many things the kids are doing now, but I'm probably just like completely imagining it. How How is it? And like, how do you build like that tech portion of the youth curriculum or whatever it is? Yeah. So for currently, um, like, yeah, we do have like the PowerPoint. All I could think is like, what am I thankful for in tech and youth is like a microphone so that we can talk above the noise level that these youth <laughs> produce. Like, I'm grateful for that kind of tech. Um, I think what we're running into right now is that we have the potential within our youth to um, do more. It's just a matter of, like, our facility can't really house more. Um, and then our budget is also in there, too. So, like, we want to get new technology mm. that's in that actually makes our PowerPoint connect at least 99% of the time. That would be right. Not 100%, but 99 <laughs> would be super great. Um, so those kind of things. And we have youth that are like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. Um, but it takes people staying on top of it that are in more of a leadership role that yeah. we have to be learning this kind of tech alongside them so that we can guide them in the right direction of how to use it. Um, Cause yeah, we just had, um, like our sound system, um, is fantastic, but the kids like to play music after sent youth is done kind of idea. Um, but how do we then monitor the music that they're playing? Because we're not going to be playing all casting crowns, but at the same time, we don't want someone going rogue and playing not Whatever, explicit music. music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That kind of idea. And so, um, yeah, we run into a little bit of a challenge there of like there's potential, but then also limitations and trying to find that sweet spot of still being able to care for the youth that are running it versus the outcome of the product that we're making. Because the product will be great, I'd hope, regardless. But how do we care about the youth that are doing it and make right. it about them, not the product? Right. Which is really a fundamental disposition. Like, if for listeners, Erica's my sister-in-law, so we've had multiple conversations about this, and that's why I'm like, ah, oh, we should, we should talk on a pod because, like, Erica, you talked to me the other day about the importance of involving, for example, a youth retreat. It's like, are all the leaders going to do all the work, or are we going to have some of these teenagers help and build yeah. in them a participation rather than just consumption? 
in just running a weekend retreat or something like that. And that fundamental desire that you had of involving them, taking responsibility, building that ethic, um, that that's formative in a way that then can apply to technology as they think about not being consumers of tech, but creators and yeah. participants in the positive nature. So I think there's kind of like some of those fundamental teaching of virtue, teaching of character, that it's like, it, we shouldn't think of that in a separate category than technology is my point. That some of the foundations of like daily devotions, reading your Bible, prayer, like those things are tech related, you know? And we, we might think like, oh, I'm not an expert on tech. I don't know how to help my teens on Snapchat. It's like, do you know how to teach self-control? Like there is something there. Um, and, and I, as I was going through John's book, I was like convicted because this is lifelong stuff, right? The, the formation of virtue, like John in his book, he talks about watching fail videos and fail videos on YouTube where you're watching people fail or it's prank videos where you're, you're laughing at someone else's expense. And, and how, where is the love of neighbor when you're laughing at someone else's expense or reading blog comments or delaying responding to text messages? When John put that in the, I was like, Oh, shoot, you got me, John. Cause I, I don't always respond to text messages. Sometimes I, if I'm honest, I do like to look cool, like I'm busy and then I don't respond right away. And then he had another thing about avoiding liking things on social media so that you feel like you're in a position of power. I'm like, whoa, you're cutting deep, John. Like, like there is stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that we're, we all struggle with this. Um, I'm picking up your sarcasm. And so, yeah, so it just seems like there's a lot of this virtue stuff, a lot of this formation stuff that, there's, it's far more than just anxiety, though that's a huge thing. It's like, how do we form, you know, competent Christians? Um, you know, I, I don't know, John, how, how you think about that in, in light of this conversation about tech. Yeah, well, one thing I did want to get back to, um, Erica, that, that you said, um, can we get back to writing letters? Um, j- just applauding youth workers that do that and encouraging youth workers to do that because you know so much of um these you know the lives of current teenagers that they're lacking tactile you know experiences and just Hmm. maybe two weeks ago my my two children got a handwritten letter from two of the youth workers and you know, they, they kept that and they put it in their room and they, they might have it in their Bible or they have it uh, taped to the wall. And it's, you know, we can send, and I, I don't want to discourage it, we can send text messages to, to our students and encourage them. And we need to do that. But there's something about just holding a card in your hand and, and seeing the time and knowing that they put it in an envelope, they put a postage on it and then mailed it. So just encouraging that because, I don't know, it's, it's, um, it's so rare in, in this day and age. And so, um, yeah, the, the word can use that, but also, you know, pulling back and enjoy what you're saying. And Erica, I mean, yes, using technology alongside them and, and teaching them how to use it. And I think maybe, I don't even know if this is getting off on, on a tangent. I think we need to be very transparent and vulnerable that we struggle just as much as our students that we need to continually 
uh, tell them that message. Um, you know, as I think of talking to my own children, but then the, the students I teach as well, um, telling them, look, <laughs> these are designed to addict you, um, that nothing's wrong with you. You know, because I think some of these students, they they just kind of carry on this shame and they think it's more <laughs> just them. But for them to to realize, I mean, I think of someone who was on the Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma. Um, I think it might have been Tristan Harris who said, you know, when you pick up your phone on the other side of that device are some of the, the brightest um, engineers in the world. and tech companies that are spending billions to keep you addicted to this, who's going to win that battle? And so for students to be aware, hey, look, nothing's wrong with me. There, there's something that's designed in this to keep me addicted. And, and they're hearing youth workers and parents say, hey, look, we're struggling with this as well. There's, it's not just something wrong with you. I just think we we need to be transparent and vulnerable in our own struggles with this um, as we're kind of coming alongside them, trying to teach them. That was kind of a rambly answer, and I don't even know if I got it. What you you were asking me? No, no. It, it's I I appreciate the pastoral heart because I think that is really important to like. There's a way of saying technology is so influential; it's changing you that can make you feel helpless. So it's like, oh, the tech is in control. I can't help but being addicted. But there's also a way of saying it where it's tech is very powerful. It's addicting you. It, it like all these behavioral psychologists, you know, Meta's report, they, they classify a teenager, a 13 year old as $270 of lifetime value. And that's their own internal documentation that has now been published in this lawsuit. So they value each teen at $270 and they keep that in mind in their decisions. And like, that's, it's like, oh, only $270. But if you just look at New York State alone of all the teens, that's $4 billion. So, so of course, if you're thinking just $4 billion of one U.S. state, you're thinking about the power behind that. Like they literally have tens of thousands of people working to keep you addicted. It's like, of course, you're no match for them in a way. And of course, it's going to be hard. And that doesn't mean you're helpless. It means that, well, what are the things that we go back to when we talk about Christian formation? Do you have the power of God? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? Is that not worth more than $4 billion? Of course. If God can raise Christ from the dead, then he can give you the self-control in order to put down the app and to go on some analog adventures, you know? To, to write some letters, <clears throat> to go to a backyard and build something cool, like to, to do these other things. Of course, God can give you the self-control for that. There's a passage in, I forget if it's Timothy or John, but it's like God does not give us a spirit of, of timidness, but of power and self-control. You know, the Holy Spirit is a comforter if you're dealing with anxiety. He's also a powerful God who is giving you self-control. And so, yeah, there, there is a, like, awareness of how big the challenge is, but also back to Christian formation. What are the things that can form us more than the apps? And, and that's what your book, John, is, is doing. We didn't even get into some of this stuff on, on, on the formative elements. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing that gives me hope. Um, and, and I'm curious for you guys, what gives you hope? 
when it comes to interacting with the next generation? Um, what, what would give hope to a teenager or what gives you hope as a parent, uh, when it comes to interacting with this next generation? Like within our youth group, I feel like there's a lot of youth that are coming to the understanding of the separation of social media from tech. So tech in and of itself, right, is neither good nor bad. Um, but at the same time, realizing that social media is like a separate aspect of that. So like I can still have my phone. I can still have Google Maps and all of this kind of stuff that is so tech forward and handy without needing to have Instagram on my phone. I can still have Instagram. I'll just log into it on my computer or I take it off for the weekend. So I'm not distracted by it. Um, and so I think then um, whether there was mature adults that spoke into these youth lives that encouraged them to take those kind of um, steps into making boundaries. Um, I think that there's like this pendulum swing where hopefully they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some youth that are like, as soon as my contract's up, I'm going back to a flip phone. Um, I'll T9 text if I need to do that. I'm like, well, I don't think you have to go that far. But at the same time, realizing it's okay to not have everything at the touch of your finger and that not everybody has access to you at the touch of their fingers. Um, and I think that the youth that I'm interacting with, um, as they get a little bit older, the, the 13 to 15 year olds are still a little bit uh, tech, even if they're curious because their parents haven't given them a phone yet. Um, it's the older ones that are in the like 16 to 20, I guess that's aging out, but the 16 to 18 um, that are figuring it out. And I'm, I'm yeah. hopeful about that, that there's a good balance that's established. Hmm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with you, Eric. I mean, just echoing everything you're saying, it does seem like the the level of education for this younger generation is continuing to grow and that they are realizing so I, I can't remember if i mentioned that i part-time teach uh, 10th 11th and 12th graders and um they're realizing how they're being used in so many ways i mean again this new evidence that's come out that they're 270 they're worth 270 dollars it's like they, they realize that um yeah they're, they're just being used and so there does seem to be some pushback and some you know, savvy that they that they're um, growing up with, which is encouraging. Um, but, but the kind of the knee jerk that came to mind, and this is going to sound like the cliched uh, Christian thing to say, um, but God's sovereignty. Um, you know, we can totally shirk our responsibility and just say God's sovereign, but the realizing, I mean, sincerely, He's on the throne, He's reigning and ruling. Um, so that aspect of His sovereignty. But then a, another aspect is just the, the fact that that. He has us living in this current age for a reason um, that we can often lament, especially as we get older, lament the age that we're in. And, and I just think that that's kind of pushing back on God's idea of sovereignty, that we, we need to see he has us here for a reason. And he's having this next generation here for a reason, and he'll continue to, to raise up his church. And so, you know, as cliched of a maybe Sunday school answer as that is, I do think that's a, a truth we absolutely need to cling to and not lose sight of as we can read so many reports left and right and just, um, you know, say, Jesus, come back now, please. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, we can have the 
Philippians 1, Paul mindset of him wanting to depart, but knowing God had called him to remain. Um, so to hold those both kind of intention, uh, I think are important. Yeah, I think, you know, building on that, if you if you take a more broad view, like if you think about smoking and how common that was, and then everyone realized like, oh my gosh, they're just taking advantage of you. These corporations are trying to like sell you, just get you addicted, right? And then as a society, we, we wisened up, we put these restrictions in place. And I think in our age group, you know, uh, it hadn't been like a big issue. And then, you know, vaping came along for the generation after ours. But in general, like people can become aware. And that's what I think is mentioned is like the older kids are starting to realize that like, hey, like these are bad. We need to put guards in place. And then that gives me more hope that the next generation after that is going to be more informed. There will be more, you know, more out there so that they know going into it, this is an addictive tool, right? Like make sure you have the guidelines in place. So I think, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm hoping we're, we're over the mountain. We're getting past the, the peak of the mountain and that it gets better from here. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think the smoking illustration is is perfectly suited to this discussion. I was, you know, trying to figure out how long did it take for the introduction of studies that showed conclusively the negative effects of smoking versus eventually society catches up, right? So you had in 1954 the British doctors study 40,000 doctors over 20 years confirmed the link published a report in 1954 and yet it wasn't until the 1980s where you really saw the tip of the apex of you know people smoking going back down to people stopping smoking and it continues to be on the down Um, but even companies up until the 1980s were you know, saying that, oh, we're not responsible for these, this lung cancer, where it's not our fault, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So I think we're in the midst of maybe the first 10 to 20 years of social media period, right? So the studies are coming out, and it's happening, but it's, it's not happening fast enough in some ways. Um, And yet, it's happening. There's, there's people that are hearing about how harmful it is there's more and more reports about meta line and the fact that instagram is damaging and so yeah we can take comfort in the fact that um god is sovereign we really can take comfort in that i don't think that's cliche i think it's great um and so yeah anyways we'll we'll wrap up here um i do want to give a plug to reform youth ministries so just john help you kind of talked about it briefly there, um, but for youth ministry workers listening to this, um, how can you as an organization help them? Yeah, no, no thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, if, if people want to go to rym.org, that's Reformed Youth Ministries, you can find out more about um, RYM, a very quick history. It started in 1972. Three youth workers who were kind of tired of the fun and games youth ministry wanted to launch a conference that was centered on the preaching and teaching of God's word. And so um, they started that, just one conference, but it's expanded to six conferences. We also offer youth leader training. Um, We say youth ministry isn't just ministry to youth, it's ministry to families. And so we want full-time youth workers, part-time volunteer parents, pastors coming to our, our training events to 
talk about all things youth ministry related. And then I am the director of resources. And so we also offer resources uh, to serve the local church. Um, I think we currently have 12 free Bible studies on our website. And so you can download those, use those. It's 12, 12 week studies. Um, we also have a podcast uh, for youth workers and parents, um, books, things like that. But if you go to rym.org, you should be able to check out all of that stuff. So thanks for that, Andrew. Yeah, no, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Um, it's It's been a journey for me getting more and more into youth ministry when 10 years ago I said I would absolutely never be a youth pastor and here i am doing all this youth oriented stuff what did what did you say erica god god likes to do things that's right that's right well (laughs) said so be careful whenever you say i will never um and this has been yet another episode of what would jesus tech we're in the episode 40 something now um so we keep cranking these away um not the first time we talked about anxiety and social media and the negative effects and it probably won't be the last um there's more and more data it feels like we're, we're just scratching the surface on what will come um, and who knows what the future will hold. So so subscribe here to What Would Jesus Tech. You can support us on Patreon as well. Um, and thank you to those who support us on Patreon. We do really appreciate uh, your support. Again, What Would Jesus Tech. I'm Andrew Noble with Joel, Erica, and John. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. See ya. Toodles.